Brothers and sisters, as you know, we are in the season of Eastertide, which is uh, an extended time of celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's only fitting, because if Easter Sunday was, was the party, let's consider Eastertide the after party, okay? Like, we're not ready to go home yet, because this good, this news is too good, it's too momentous. This really is, if this is really true, friends, if Easter is true, if Christ has conquered sin and death for us, if new creation has begun, if all the sad things are going to come untrue, then we of all people should have the biggest party. It should be longer than seven weeks, actually, but it's great that we have seven weeks because this is the best news the world has ever heard. And so we're doing our part, Resurrection Presbyterian Church. With the church all over the world, we are keeping the feast. We're reminding ourselves and the world that there is real, true, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope this touches Carly's life and Devon's life and all of our lives. And so what we're doing in our preaching is we're going back through the Gospel of Mark at some of the stories that we skipped over that are resurrection-themed. They're stories of resurrection. And we're asking the question, if Jesus is risen from the dead, now what? If Jesus is risen from the dead, how now shall we live in light of his resurrection? What does it mean for those who believe in him? The scriptures actually say that those who are in Christ have been raised up with him. So another way to ask it is, what are we raised for? What are we raised with Christ? What kind of life are we raised with Christ into? Last week, we saw that we are raised to serve. Today, I want us to see that we are raised to trust. We are raised to trust God in this topsy-turvy world. Our scripture lesson today is about the raising of Jairus' daughter, which is a story that's sandwiched around another story, the healing of a sick woman in Mark chapter 5. Would you stand with me for the reading of the gospel? This is Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed, followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. 
And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. Oh God, would you help us now? Thank you that you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit who's authored these words before us, who speaks through the words that I am about to speak, who gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that believe in Jesus. Lord, whether it's an instant process today or a slow process, we pray you would be at work. And even now, right now, Christ, you would be in our minds and in our thinking. You would be in my mouth and in my speaking. You would be in our hearts and our believing. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Be seated, please. I think we would agree that um, one of the most challenging things as a Christian living in a fallen world is to trust God. It's a conversation we have amongst ourselves a good bit as people in this congregation, what it's like to try to trust God when the signs around us are concerning, right? If the world were not fallen, if sin had never entered into the world, if everything was as it should be, then we would have no trust issues, right? We have no problem trusting God. Faith wouldn't even be necessary. It is precisely because of the prevalence of suffering, it's because we live in a world with sickness, sorrow, pain, and death, that we find it difficult to trust God. You heard Sam pray it earlier. We were reminded once again this week that things are not the way it should be. But the news of not one, but two young African-American men who were shot and killed by the police. There's 20-year-old Dante Wright of Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Dante loved basketball. His two-year-old son, Dante Jr., His mother said that Dante was an amazing, loving kid with a big heart and a bright smile. And then there's 13-year-old, 13-year-old Adam Toledo of the Little Village neighborhood in Chicago, Illinois. He was a seventh grader at Gary Elementary School. He was the youngest of four siblings. They said he liked to play hot wheel cars and ride his bike. See, how can we trust the power and the goodness of God when there's so much suffering in the world like this. To be a Christian is to live in this tension between human suffering and divine promises. And in our passage today, there's another seventh grader, if you will, a 12-year-old girl who dies from an illness. And then there's an elderly woman who has been as sick for as long as the little girl lived, 12 years. Suffering is everywhere in this passage, just as it is everywhere in our world. And the question I want us to wrestle with tonight is, how in the world can we trust God when we feel so powerless against the forces that are beyond our control, right? We can't control sickness or suffering or death. It feels like we were just at their mercy. 
Well, friends, I think the answer that is given in this passage is the immeasurable gift that is the Christian faith. In other words, is, there, is it possible to not live with this constant fear and anxiety about when the inevitable suffering of the world is going to show up uninvited in our lives? The answer from this passage is yes, it's possible. We can actually trust God in a world of suffering because he has entered into our suffering and because he has won victory over suffering and death for us. In their desperation, the people in this passage turn to Jesus and they walk away with a tremendous gift. It's the gift of faith. Faith in God's power over the wily forces of suffering and even death. Because if God has power even over our most powerful enemy, over death, then we can learn to trust him. How do we get there? How do we get to a life that obeys Jesus' words in verse 36? Do not fear only believe. Don't you want that? I want that. To not be afraid and to believe and to trust in Jesus. How do we get there? I think there are three things in this passage. First, we've got to see that God turns desperation into a gift. God turns desperation into a gift. We're not very accustomed to seeing desperation as a gift, are we? Someone asks, hey, why did you marry your wife? Oh, it's because I was given the gift of desperation. Right? That's, that's not going to work. That's not true, April. But that's not going to work, is it? We are, we're not accustomed to seeing desperation as a gift. But in this story, that's precisely what it is. Because it is precisely when you've exhausted all other human hopes that you turn to Jesus, the true source of hope. Desperation is a gift because you have to feel how powerless you actually are before you turn to the power of God. Look at it. Desperation pervades the story. Jairus is desperate because his 12-year-old daughter is dying. There's nothing in this world that will make you feel how powerless you actually are like bringing a child into this world. (laughs) No one tells you, no one told me that the first night you bring your child home from the hospital will be the worst night of your life. (laughs) Because at the hospital, there were nurses and there were all these people trained to keep them alive. And when you're at home, it's just you. I didn't sleep a wink the first night we brought Jackson home. I was like checking him every 15 minutes to make sure he was still breathing. They're so weak and fragile and they just do the smallest thing. It It could be catastrophic and you realize how powerless you actually are. To control the well-being of this human being. At some point, you're either going to have to trust God or you're going to stand over their crib all night, every night. That's where Jairus is. Except Jairus is a man of power. He's a ruler of the synagogue, which basically means he was the president of the local Jewish worshiping community, which means he had significant social and spiritual power in the community. This is a man of power. A man of this reputation and authority would certainly have resources at his disposal to help him with his sick daughter. But none of them had the power. We're led to believe that none of these things work, and therefore, in his desperation, he turns to Jesus. Can you see this father at this scene, this man of great respectability, falling down on his feet, falling down at the feet of Jesus and begging him, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. He's desperate. 
By contrast, the woman with the issue of blood has no power. She has a uterine hemorrhage for 12 years, which in that society would make her a social and a spiritual outcast. She's the total opposite of Jairus. According to Leviticus 15, a woman in her condition was considered ritually unclean, which means she could not touch other people nor be touched, and she could not attend the worship of God. You see what's happening? Like, while Jairus oversees the worship of the synagogue, this woman is barred from even attending. Like, remember, we couldn't go to church for a few months because of the pandemic, right? Because of sickness. Imagine not being able to go to church for 12 years because of your sickness and suffering. These are two people from two completely different worlds who are bound together by one thing. Desperation. They're desperate. Verse 26 tells us that the woman has tried everything. She has spent all her money. Perhaps she's even been taken advantage of by some doctors, the way it's worded. And everything she has done has only made matters worse. And she's out of options. Can you feel her desperation? But in her desperation, she turns to Jesus because she had heard reports about him. And brothers and sisters, what this is telling us is this is what binds us all together as the people of God. No matter who you are, man or woman, rich or poor, religious insider or outcast, we have all reached a point of desperation. But God turns that desperation into a gift. Because it is that desperation that actually leads us to Jesus. Therefore, friends, maybe you're feeling like you're desperate right now. Something's going on in your life you feel like is beyond human help. Let me tell you, when you have exhausted all human hopes, when you cry out in desperation, I cannot fix this, this is actually a gift. This is what God is using to turn you to Jesus. And you will turn to the only one who has the actual power to heal. He teaches us in this passage to trust him in our desperation, because even then he is stripping us of all illusions of self-salvation so that we turn to the only name that saves. See, our God turns desperation into a gift. Secondly, I want you to see in this passage, as we learn to trust God together, we've got to see that God turns delay into discipleship. God turns delay into discipleship. So return with me to Jairus, okay? That's where this story began. He falls down before Jesus and he begs him to come to his house because his 12-year-old daughter is at death's door right now. And wonderfully, Jesus agrees to go with him, but time is critical, Jesus, right? If you don't move quickly, this young woman, this child is going to die. So imagine Jairus' consternation when on the way, Jesus stops because someone touched him. And Jesus wants to know who touched him. He won't let it go. The sick woman, who isn't even supposed to be around other people because of her sickness, she tries to sneak in undetected. She thinks, if I can just, just touch his garment, I will be healed. But when she touches his garment, Jesus perceives that healing power has gone out from him. I don't know what that feels like, but he perceives that it has gone out, and he stops and he asks, who touched my garments? And even the disciples are frustrated. They're like, Jesus, there are people everywhere. Everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? But Jesus will not be deterred. In verse 32, when it says that he looked around, the verb tense means that he kept looking around. 
He, was, he kept looking around to figure out who in the world touched him until this woman finally comes forward. She's busted. She can stay hidden no longer. She comes in fear and trembling, falls down before Jesus. And in verse 33, it says that she told Jesus the whole truth, meaning she told him her whole story. Jesus has her recount, her entire story, her long suffering with sickness, how she heard about Jesus, how she thought if she could just touch his garment, like the whole story. Now again, put yourself in Jairus' shoes. What in the world is Jesus doing? My daughter is dying, and you stop for an extended conversation with a social outcast who has a chronic illness. It's not an emergency. The woman could approach Jesus anytime. Why now? And why is Jesus taking so long to talk with her? This is like an ambulance on the way to a heart attack patient stopping to tend to someone with chronic migraines. That's bad, but it's not an emergency. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Am I right, Sam Weisgarber? Yes. Sure enough, friends, because of Jesus' delay... A messenger comes from Jairus' house with the news that this father is most feared. Your daughter is dead. No need to trouble Jesus any longer. All because of the delay. See, Jairus is experiencing what every follower of Jesus experiences at one time or another, which is anger over the timing of Jesus' work in our life consternation about how and when he works. Delays that make no sense, at least according to the way we see it. It it feels like malpractice by the great physician, doesn't it? In his book on Mark's gospel called King's Cross, Tim Tim Keller says it like this. "God's God's sense of timing will confound ours. His grace rarely operates according to our schedule. Jesus will not be hurried. And as a result, we often feel exactly like Jairus, impatient because he's delaying irrationally, unconscionably, inordinately. Right? Where is the delay of God in your life causing you much heartache? Well, then notice, friend, what God does. He turns delay into discipleship. It is because of the delay that Jairus is invited into deeper faith in Jesus. See, after the news of his daughter's death, Jesus has the nerve to ignore the news, look right at Jairus and say, Do not fear. Only believe. In other words, Jairus, trust me. Trust me. Though you don't know how or why, I want you to trust me. Jairus, in this moment, is invited into deeper discipleship. He came to Jesus hoping that he could heal his his daughter. But Jesus goes deeper. He invites him to even believe that he can raise the dead. To believe that he has power not only over a sickness, but over death itself. Jesus turns this delay into discipleship. He's inviting Jairus into deeper trust. And he actually does the same, same thing for the woman, too. Because of this delay, she, too, is invited into deeper discipleship. She wanted to get in and get out, right? Get healed quickly and quietly and move on. She just wanted relief, but Jesus wants a relationship. She wanted a something, and he wants a someone. 
He wants to know her story. He wants to know her. She came to Jesus thinking her greatest need was physical healing, but Jesus showed her that what she really needs is a life-giving relationship with Christ. See, because of that delay, he turns that delay into discipleship for her too. So, brothers and sisters, I ask you today, in Eastertide, would you trust God when he is delayed in your life? Because he turns delay into discipleship. He may be inviting you into deeper faith. He may be giving you something deeper that you didn't even know you needed. Trust him. Be patient. And wait upon the Lord. Thirdly, and lastly, as we learn to trust God in this crazy world, I want you to see that Jesus turns death into sleep. Jesus turns death into merely sleep. When, when Jesus finally arrives at Jairus' house, the wake has already begun. There are people weeping and wailing loudly. There's quite the commotion going on. But Jesus says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And notice, everyone laughs at him. They laugh at him. They know the difference between being dead and being asleep. The girl is dead. And anyone who says differently is to be laughed at. Jesus is able to turn death into merely sleep. Jesus goes to the child along with her parents and Peter and James and John. He takes her by the hand and he says, Little girl, I say to you, arise. This is probably the way her parents have woken her up many mornings. It's like saying, Honey, it's time to wake up. Immediately, she gets up and she starts walking around and everyone is overcome with amazement. He says, let's get her something to eat. Brothers and sisters, you see what Jesus has done. Death is our greatest enemy. It's our last enemy. It's our worst enemy. It's an enemy that we are powerless against. It comes for every one of us and we can do nothing about it. But Jesus has done something about it. Through his resurrection, he has turned a roaring lion into a little kitten. He has turned death into just a little sleep. Because at the end of the time, he will come to each one of us and he will say, little children, it's time to wake up. And we will rise with him and we too will be given something to eat because he will bring us to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And on that great day, the scriptures say, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has turned death into sleep. But brothers and sisters, you need to know how this happened. It's only sleep for us, because it really was death for him. Death cannot sting us because it really stung him. Death emptied its entire venom into him. The justice, the wrath, the condemnation for our sins fell on him instead of falling on us. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. He rose victoriously, and now that victory is transferred to us. Right? Jesus is the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never, ever die. Everything in this passage is about a transfer. The sick woman is unclean, but Jesus touches her, and her sickness is not transferred to him. His wholeness is transferred to her. The child is unclean because of death, but Jesus touches her, and her death is not transferred to him. His life is transferred to her. So, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters, all the benefits of his life, death, and resurrection are transferred to you. They are yours now and forever. So my question for you tonight is, are you willing to trust him, even when the crowd laughs? Right, the child is not dead, but sleeping, and they laugh at him. Are you willing to follow Jesus through the laughter? To trust what Jesus says, to put your confidence in his power, even when they laugh? Because Jesus is the one who turns mourning into laughter. He turns dirges into dancing, ashes into beauty. He turns death into just a little sleep. Friends, if Jesus has power over the most powerful thing in the world, death, then can we learn to trust him with all things? So I urge you today, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You are raised with Christ to trust him in all things. Trust him in desperation because he turns desperation into a gift. Trust him in delay because he he turns delay into discipleship. And trust him even in death because he turns death into sleep. Amen. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us. Oh God, you are the resurrection and the life. We live in a world of suffering and death to thank you that you have not left us without any recourse. Speak to us today in our anxiety, in our worry, in our fear. Give us the benediction that you gave to this woman in this passage. Daughter, son, your faith has made you well. Go Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Lord, help us to trust you. And know in trusting you, we will never be disappointed. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.